Psychology in Seattle. Hello and welcome to Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Kirk Honda, licensed therapist. I'm Mandy, Kirk's cousin. And I'm Humberto Castaneda. I am Foxconn's HR director. Please like us on Facebook. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. And please email us at contact at psychology in Seattle. That's contact at psychology in Seattle. We always love hearing from our listeners. Today's episode is on multicultural psychotherapy. The topic is quite broad, but I thought as a way of just touching upon a small part of it, I would provide a hypothetical example in therapy and talk about what the possible interventions or the possible things that uh, I as a therapist might do to respond to a multicultural issue in therapy. But before we go into the example, let's just define what multicultural psychotherapy is. Basically, it is a type of psychotherapy that sees all people as cultural beings, that all of our actions, thoughts, and feelings involve culture. Traditionally, we might see culture as just involving ethnicity, but it involves all sorts of factors like language, sexual orientation, gender, age, disability, uh, class, your education level, where you grew up, the region you grew up, the religion that you grew up with, the the religion you have now, or your spiritual orientation and other cultural dimensions. So it's a complex topic, and if you have not been exposed to it before, I recommend that you expose yourself to it because it's an important part of human life, and I think we're better off for having an awareness of ourselves and others culturally. So let's take a hypothetical client who recently came out as gay, and he's in session with me, and he says to me that he is feeling down about having come out as gay because he feels that he is no longer a man. He remembers as a child growing up and making fun of boys who were feminine, calling boys feminine names as a way of insulting them. For a man in traditional American culture to be feminine is a bad thing. Not for everybody, but in general. Say, for instance, a gay man, not, not every gay man goes through this, I just want to say that, but let's say that a gay man comes out to his friends and family and at first feels elated, uh, feels relieved, but then quickly starts to feel bad about himself because he wonders who he is. Is he a man anymore? Is he a man of worth, as I might call it? What I might do is involve multicultural psychotherapy when trying to help a client like this. One particular intervention involves facilitating for the client an awareness of their positive cultural identity in order to promote self-acceptance and empowerment. So what I might do is ask the client a bunch of questions about how he defines what it is to be a man of worth. So let's say I ask my client, what does it mean to be a man? And let's say the client says, well, that's a good question. I guess the image that comes to mind is John Wayne, you know, a a tough guy, a guy who is sure of himself, who always gets the girl. And I might ask the question then, is that how you define what it is to be a man? And let's say that the client says, no, actually, that's, that's how society defines a man. So again, this is a multicultural consideration. Is it your definition or is it society's definition? Do you want to adopt society's definition? Do you want to have your own definition? 
what is the definition of a man? And as a side note, I just want to say this is not typically the tone of voice that I would use with a client. Uh, this is, you know, a role play, so to speak. So just take that into consideration. So I might ask uh, the client, so is that how you define what it is to be a man? And the client might say, no, that's how society defines a man. Um, so I might ask, well, what's your definition of a man then? And let's say he says, well, it's someone who knows what he wants, someone who has courage, someone who stands up for what he believes in. Now we're getting somewhere, right? Uh, this is no longer associated with heterosexuality or with traditional male stereotypes. Now he's saying uh, someone who knows what he wants, someone who has courage, someone who stands up for what he believes in. So then I might ask, did it take courage to come out? Was it difficult to stand up for what you believed in in the face of people oppressing you and being discriminatory and being prejudiced? Was that courageous of you? And the client might say, hmm, well, I, I guess so, that uh, it was very difficult for me to come out, and it, it did take a lot of courage. And so I might ask the client, well, how do you feel about that? And the client might say, well, I feel, I feel good. I, I guess when I take that into consideration, I feel like a man. I feel like a man of worth. And then I might come back to society, and I might say, well, will everyone in our society see you as a man if they find out that you're gay? And the client might say, well, no. And I might say, well, does that change how you see yourself? Does that change your identity? And he might say, well, no, I guess I'm not going to let that oppressive point of view hurt me. I'm not going to let these outside individuals define who I am and make me feel bad about myself. I'm going to define what it is to be a man. And by that definition that I have of a man, I fit the definition of a man of worth. And therefore, I am a good person and I can have self-esteem and I feel empowered and I have a good self-identity. So now, is therapy this easy? Not typically. And do people change that quickly? Again, not typically. And could this intervention have gone terribly wrong? Yes, sure. That's all part of the mystery of therapy. But this is a just a demonstration, just to give a small demonstration of what it is to provide multicultural psychotherapy. And I wanted to involve what it is to be a man. I wanted, uh, to, you know, traditionally, um, and perhaps rightfully so, whenever multiculturalism is discussed, people often talk about those that are oppressed, women, minorities, people who are of lower socioeconomic class, uh, disabled people, which are all things that need to be considered. But it's also very possible, and I've seen it many times, where a man will come in who traditionally is a person of power, a person of agency over women. And remember that sexism is alive and well in American culture today. But it doesn't mean that men's identity isn't of importance in therapy. If a man comes into therapy and and is struggling with his cultural identity of what it means to be a man, then that's something to discuss. That's not something to ignore. I have brought this up with some friends and colleagues occasionally. And in my experience, men are thirsty for discussions of what it means to be a man in today's American culture. When I talked about this episode topic with a colleague of mine, he started to cry. And this is a guy in the military, or he used to be in the military. Uh, I would say he's a fairly tough guy. And 
he started to tear up a little bit as we talked about what it was to be a man. He, he was very appreciative that I was even bringing it up. And he said that we don't talk about it enough. And what is it to be a man? Can we be proud of being a man? Now, again, this brings up a touchy subject because in our culture, we tend to glorify men over women. So some might say men don't need any help to be proud of themselves because they are taught that they are better from the day they're born. But I think it's more subtle than that. And even if someone is misogynistic and believes that they're better than women, I would imagine that in therapy, that might be useful to discuss as well. All right. So what do you think? What do you think of multicultural therapy? Can you ask the question in uh, Spanish? Como esta multicultural therapy? <laughs> <laughs> How offensive. If you just take it at face value you're, and you left it at that, it's like, well, that's tough. I'm sorry. Right. But you didn't. Even, if, if, as soon as you start asking about the definition of like, well, what, what do you mean? That, that person would have answered completely differently in a billion other places on this planet, right? Right, right. Uh, and then instead of maybe saying, oh, I just don't feel like a man anymore, it might, it might have said, I've lost my honor, or I've disgraced my family, right. or I am uh, no longer a Plutonian, whatever, right? Right. I mean, the path is unknown. You have to follow the client's path. The client might have said, well, I don't want to be a man. I don't care about being a man anymore. That's not important to me. I, I just want to have integrity regardless of what gender I identify with. You know, that, that could have been another answer. So it, it just depends on the client. Every client, no matter where they're from, always requires some an individualized kind of care plan. It's also important for therapists to understand where we are in history and where someone is in our culture and where we as therapists are in our culture. We have to understand how our identity interfaces with our client's identity. If I, as a man, am seeing a woman, I, by definition in our society, have more power. But I'm half Japanese, I'm not entirely white, and my client might be entirely white, so by definition, she has more power. Now, these are generalizations, obviously, but they're things to consider. For instance, you imagine you have a 50-year-old white male therapist, and you have a 22-year-old lesbian who's disabled and has very little money and is on assistance. The interface between those two people is very different than if they were of the same culture. And trust, bonding, assumptions. It all has to do with context. Everything has its own right. situational facts. And so those things have to be taken into consideration. And a lot of times what people think is the way that they think is the progressive, intelligent, given way to think. For instance, one thing that we might say in our culture is that when a five-year-old has a birthday, that you throw a birthday party for him. And you're supposed to make him very special. You're supposed to invite all his friends and focus on him and be very, you know, give him that gift. And if a family doesn't do that for their child or they don't even know when their kid's birthday is, then that's neglecting that child, right? If it is the custom, yeah. Right. I mean, if someone said, oh, how old is your child? I don't know. Right. You would think, what is wrong with you? Right. Right? Well, we consider that a given, right? That's, right? that's what we consider to be a given, that you would never hurt a child by forgetting their birthday. Well, in other cultures, they don't keep track of those sorts of things. Right, and there are religions that don't celebrate holidays, such as birthdays or anything like that. So it's normal to not acknowledge it in a big celebratory sense. But I think it is kind of neglectful to not know how old your child see, is. But, see, but that's a given that you have and be based on your culture. Yes, I guess. I guess I just can't imagine a culture that it might be out there where they're like, it doesn't matter. We're just... 
humans on this planet as long as we're here. So you're making fun of it as you're talking about it. I just mean like I'm trying to relate. I can't even imagine. Yeah, you can't imagine, but that doesn't mean it. It's not not wrong, I guess. They can't imagine us. When they look at us, they think how ridiculous that you spend so much money and time and you shower children with a bunch of crap when there are people starving around the world and stuff. So believe me, we look just as ridiculous. Well, have you like have you heard when you watch? uh, Do you ever get like channels from other countries? They don't talk English. It's hilarious. They're talking some weird gibberish. I know. It's like abusive to their children. Well, that's clearly wrong. When you don't speak English to your children. It is abusive. Yeah. So multicultural therapy involves a lot of things, as you can tell. And it gets complicated, right? As as we're just talking about a couple issues. I'm at, essentially, therapists are somewhat expected to be sociologists and historians. They're supposed to understand society and culture in a broad, intelligent way. Otherwise, they will fall prey to some of these cultural assumptions. It's hard, though. One of my friends at Antioch is actually one of the top thinkers and writers in this area. And he'll, he'll tell me all the time he, he has a hard time remembering this stuff, has a hard time not giving into his assumptions about culture. And he has to constantly ask questions and, and check in with himself and be very critical, of, you know, in terms of not critical like um, being mean to himself, but you know, being critical thinking about his assumptions. And it's very tiresome. It's very tiresome to, and fatiguing to constantly question everything you're thinking, right? It's hard to do that. Um, For instance, just as a side, one of the things that I have wrestled with is whether compassion is good. Caring about others, altruism, is that a culture manifestation of American thought and culture? And I've come to the realization that I don't care, that I I consider it good, and I consider it a given moral good that everyone should do. It could be a construct. It could just be made up. There could be other cultures. Because I've actually interfaced with other cultures that seem to not care about compassion. I've, I've interfaced with other people from other parts of the world that seemingly don't have the same associations with compassion that Americans do. Well, compassion or empathy? Well, let me give you an example. Like the person uh, in their country, they don't, they don't have therapists. He was saying, we don't even care as a people about suffering. We don't attend to people's suffering. We just expect that people will figure it out on their own and move on. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it was really foreign to me. And I thought, well, is compassion an American thing? You know, is it something that we've invented? You know, maybe there's another way to live where you essentially just move on and hope for the best and not focus on negativity, not focus on suffering, and then people naturally heal. I don't know. But see, the reason I was asking about the difference, so in in Colombia, for example, it's a very common thing, at least when I was growing up. uh, Here's the scenario. You're in your house. You see outside someone is getting mugged or something bad is happening to someone. And your your grandma or your parent, whoever, will say, oh, you know, they'll bless themselves and, and say, oh, no, poor person. Oh, my God. Oh, oh. but no one will lift a finger. And they're definitely not going to go outside and get involved. But they'll, they'll feel bad about it, gossip about it. They'll, you know, but it's just, it's a very different, like, they will feel it. They will put themselves in that situation. And, oh, I'm so glad that's not me. Oh, my God. But they're not going to help. Why? Well, because culturally, uh, uh, th- there's been s- throughout the centuries so much violence and so much 
uh, class differences and things like that, that um, essentially you're not, you're not taught to uh, interact with people that are outside of your immediate family circle in anything other than a suspicious uh, at a distance kind of way for fear of something bad happening to you. Yeah. Because bad things happen all the time. I see. But so, so, but empathy is felt, but you definitely don't do anything about it. Well, that's a, that seems like they would if they weren't fearful for their own lives in the process. Right. Yep. Yeah. Like the example I have is like someone's depressed, you know, someone's really sad. And in Seattle, we would typically tend to that and value that. And, validate their feeling like oh you're really sad that makes sense to me that you would be sad of course you're sad let me hang out with you let me send you a card let me take you out to dinner let me try to cheer you up or this sort of thing there's a there's a compassion there and it seems like in the culture that i'm thinking about my friend um he seems to believe that his culture is such that they don't care you know if if you're sad tough luck he comes from a country that has been through a lot of political strife over the years. And so, I don't know. It, it's a, it seemed like an interesting question. And like I said, I, I'm still asking it. But to some extent, I've answered it to myself and said that compassion is good. For yourself. No, no. Actually, what I'm saying is that compassion is good for everyone. For you. No, because, <laughs> because, that, because that's the thing. We're not islands. That's my point. Is like we can decide together about things. And that the postmodernism has made all of us into these little meaning-making islands. And I don't think that that's necessarily the best way to operate because that that basically says like we can't come together and say, "Yes, let's agree as a group, as a society that X is true." Well, that has happened, right? Like the constitution, the laws, right, exactly. that happens. Yeah. The civil rights movement, like all these things are not islands of of meaning. It's like, as a society, what should we be doing with this? Compassion is good. We can say that. Right. But it is still a a relativistic approach to it. But that's the postmodern point of view. That's what I'm saying. It's like, when you come from a place of relativism, you come from a place of saying, well, it's all relative. And what I'm saying is that it's not relative. I think the proof of relativism is that I can't fully agree with that (laughs) well because you come from a paradigm that's common to a lot of people today of postmodernism relativism i actually came from you know the the absolutism of religion right right and then i I graduated to postmodernism postmodernism, and then now i'm in a new phase oh what's that my new phase is that like everything is relative but we need to pick a relativity that we can survive with because we are selfish, and that one will let us keep surviving. But, but anyways, now we're getting... But I was going to say, the UW is conducting a study in empathy uh, on infants. Like, they're starting really, really young. I'd be very interested to see the results of those studies. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure it's in our disposition to be empathic. We're, we're social animals. I so. mean, apparently around before one, infants don't understand if something bad's happening to you. They don't really care or react. But after a certain age, even if they don't have language yet or whatever, they'll still be like, they, they'll react. I don't know if it's concern or whatever, but they'll react, right? right. So it's, there's some understanding that develops about something happening to someone outside of themselves right. and what that might mean to them. Right. But I think that then society does superimpose then things like, you know, because if all you ever hear your parents and your grandparents and everyone around you saying is like, don't get involved. Don't worry about that, dude. It's not your concern. It's not your thing. Just worry about your own stuff. Just worry about your brother, right? That kind of thing. That's all you're going to grow up with. All right, news. Uh, sure. Mandy, news. The headline, it said, mind-blowing sex can actually wipe 
your memory clean in that you can have kind of like a temporary global amnesia. It happens more as you get older. Like this was like a 50-year-old lady in D.C., but like, you know, showed up to the hospital like, oh, you know, she just had a bunch of crazy sex and like forgot, but it doesn't last very long. But it was just like, oh, you know, the phrase, we had mind-blowing sex. It's like some people actually had their mind semi-blown or wiped clean for just a little bit. Wow. I don't know. I just thought, I was like, what? They lost mem- specific memories? Do they lose them permanently? Do they come back? No, it w- it's short, short term. Typically, the symptoms are not very long lasting. But the fact is, like, I think it was disorienting enough to seek medical attention. Like, I don't know what's going on or. Yeah. Well, what is it about the sex that would cause this brain dysfunction would be the question. Is it because sex isn't just sex, right? It's like heart rate and stimulation and it's it's a workout. It's chemicals. Someone might be on top of you, like cutting off the circulation to parts of your body. I don't think they mentioned anything re- regarding like autoerotic asphyxiation. Nothing well, like that in this news no, story. No. Well, well, one of the things I mean, like when, when people are getting into it, when they're having sex, they might be clenching down, right? They might be bearing down and, and they might not be breathing. They might be like you know, there might be lots of things going on not enough oxygen to the brain right so it might not be sex it might just be like an element of physical exertion donkey punch yeah that happens to me i can never remember days been? before what i've lost days of my life what you have of course not no one's ever donkey punched me have you ever had sex many and thought wow uh, I'm really risking some amnesia in this moment because this is some mind-blowing sex. Um, is this before we complete the mind blow- potentially mind-blowing sex or after, like, I have been blown? My mind has been blown. Yeah. Um, no, and no. I always know what's going on and know where I've been and know what just happened. Yeah. Can you relate to this? Could you imagine having sex at such a level that it would erase your memory? <laughs> wow, that sounds good. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I mean, I don't think it would it would be a bad time if that happened. I'd probably be a little freaked out, but knowing that it's possible, everybody, don't freak out if you have some fantastic sex and you have no idea where you are. Just trust that hopefully it will pass, and you'll eventually recognize the naked person lying next to you. Like this has actually happened to me. It you, has seriously. Yeah. I don't remember any of the details, but it has. You woke up next to a naked person and said, "No, I don't remember." Oh. I lost all memory of the event. I get it. It's like a catch-22. <laughs> no, but that's the point. How would you remember if it, if it erases your memory? Well, I think if you're like with your spouse, in this case, she was, she probably was like, what is going on? You know, and doesn't remember. And then the husband's like, hello, it's me. We just had some. So I lost you somewhere along the line. You said with your spouse, you had mind-blowing sex. <laughs> I'm not married, but I'm sure there's plenty of people who are having mind-blowing spousal sex and i hope you are i got some news too um so i don't know if you guys remember in the golden age of the 80s when everyone was looking for et with all their big radio telescopes out in the desert Mm -hmm. seti seti all that good stuff and then in the 90s where everyone was helping out with their little seti at home remember Mm -hmm. that late 90s yeah eventually nothing happened and so eventually funds started drying out so a lot of these antennas and radio telescopes have been either commissioned to some other uh astronomical pursuits or actually Put out a commission. Yeah. Well, recently they brought up 42 radio telescopes, the Allen Telescope Array in Hat Creek, California, 
back into operation to reinitiate the search for um, for E.T. and uh, Jar Jar Binks. Um, <laughs> although he's probably dead by now because that's a long, long time ago. Yeah, it was a galaxy far, far away. Yes. Although, you know what? Now that I think about it, it might have taken that long for his light ah. to reach us. So that would be the ultimate poetry. I wonder if he'll be in 3D. Oh, my God. Imagine that. Our first E.T. contact. Misa von home. <laughs> but the problem is that they're going to need another $55 million to complete the planned array of 350 antennas. But there's been no volunteers. You mean no donors? No donors. Uh, so I don't know if you guys are willing to pitch in, but... Sure. Hey, yeah. man, we've got to save up all our money to have a real honeymoon on the moon care of Newt Gingrich. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saving all my money for. Yeah. That's what the I'm original like. honeymoon. Isn't that yeah. a song? Because I'm saving all my money for honeymoon. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tupper Bluff. Sex, sex, sex. According to Playboy, Tupper Bluff, more women talk dirty during sex than men. Tough. That sounds dirty. <laughs> According to Playboy, more women talk dirty during sex than men. Mm-hmm. I'll say tough, damn it. Is that because you've been engaged with enough people, females, to know if... Someone is speaking dirty. It's the female in your pair. I'm just kind of saying it because it's surprising to me if that's the case. But it's surprising to you. Is it surprising to you? Um, I suppose at first it's surprising. But when I think about gender and sexuality, I would imagine that women would be more engaged with their partner in general. When you when you sample large groups of human beings, I would think that women are are just, you know, a little bit more engaged in sex and, and will say th- more interactive things. Whereas men in general, like a 60-40 kind of a thing, might be more just getting the job done. I would say I think I agree that women are more vocal, more likely to say things like, yeah, you're so hot, oh my gosh, I really care about you, blah. Say my name. And guys, I think maybe, okay, not to say I don't also put in a lot of work. I do. But maybe it's like the guys are, you know, if they're driving this show, but they're concentrating because they're putting in so much freaking work mm. that they're like, I'm focused right now. I've really got to give my all in this position. Right. Pounding you like that. Okay. <laughs> 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 and so they're like, I don't have time to also fucking talk about willy nilly romantic. Willie Nelson? <laughs> about your titty witties or something. <laughs> So I would okay. What sorry. kind of talking do you do? <laughs> I know, just like, oh, put your willy nilly where the sun don't shine. <laughs> uh, so basically, tougher bluff. You both said tough. Okay, right. Uh, and it is indeed tough. Mm. It is true, wow, gentlemen. Yeah. Dirty women. And Playboy <laughs> is a, re- a reputable journal, so I'm sure that their studies were. Hey, man, they used to have great columns. I always read it for the columns. Yeah. For the article. So how about this gentleman? May I pose to you that should you have some future sexual endeavors, you try and be a little more vocal just to see how that goes. Mm. Just just to see, like, does it feel natural? Can you also be more talkative, we'll say? And if not, why not? Mm-hmm. If so, how was it? But it would would it be like trying to walk and chew gum at the same time with everything? You'd get... be like, look, the, the, the boots. The, the, <laughs> hold on one second. I, I got it. I got it. Oh, ride them cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> Just a second. Let me get my willy nilly in there. <laughs> and we're going to be like, shh, shh, it's okay. It's okay. Shh. And then she donkey punches you and you forget the last three hours of your day. This is what I'm saying. That would be tragic. What if you have the perfect dirty talk and it's like this, you know, you just got it. And then they donkey punch you and then you forget what you did. I hate it when that happens. I hate it when I've got a whole night planned 
and they knock me unconscious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Are you sure Kara's okay with this? Uh, we'll find out. Sorry, Don, guys. The one thing you cannot mention is donkey punches. <laughs> they were like, well, you have a fine line. Remember, there's a line. Well, someone would have to be listening this long, you know? Someone, yeah. <laughs> no, come on, let's This is real. like an hour into it. I'm guessing the FCC and the bosses at Cairo don't make it this far into yeah. the show. It's like it's like when you're listening to the mob, you can only listen for so long, yeah. and if you don't hear anything relevant, you, you have to off. turn up. You know, we should invent a drink for our podcast. It's oh. just call it the Donkey Punch, right? Oh. <laughs> and then mm. you know, it's uh, it has. But we always forget what's in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alberto. All right. So George Lucas recently came out, and he was being interviewed, and he said he has stated that uh, you know they just released the movie that he uh, that he made uh, about fighter pilots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's stated, he's gone on the record saying he's only going to make one more blockbuster, and after that, he's retiring. Hmm. This is tougher bluff. And then, you know, they asked him, like, why, like, what about any more Star Wars movies? And he was like, uh, uh, I get way so much criticism and all these kind of things. Definitely not going to do that anymore. But the tougher bluff here specifically is he said he's only making one more blockbuster, and then he's retiring. Uh, I'm going to say bluff. I'm going to say this was his last blockbuster he's making. I'm going to say that's tough because all I think about is him convalescing at Skywalker Ranch. And that makes me laugh. <laughs> well, George, Georgie is actually, you're right, uh, Kirk. It was uh, the last movie he just released, the, the fighter pilot one, was his last blockbuster. He has said he's only going to do, uh, you know, indie art style movies, which might actually be a good move. He might go back to THX or something. And TH, have you seen THX? Yeah. It's weird. I haven't seen the, stu- the, the, the student project of it. I've seen the, the film oh, release, yeah, the, the full the one. Have you seen THX 146 or what's it called? THX? I don't remember the number. Something. Anyway, have you seen it? No. What's it? It's the movie Lucas made just before Star Wars. And it's hard to watch. It's kind of boring. But it's interesting because you see a lot of Star Wars in this movie. You can see him playing with a lot of ideas. It's set in the future. Like the little holograms. That you see in Star Wars, where you see Leia, you know, putting in the in the information into R two D two, that's in THX. The kind of gritty future where the future isn't all clean is right. in THX. One one three eight, by the way. THX one one three eight. Yeah, but it's interesting to see. I I liked watching it. Was it painful to watch like Star Wars Christmas special? Because that... <laughs> oh, didn't we talk about that? On a... did, it... <laughs> I went home and Googled it and was like, oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know what this, I love? Th- that was painful. That is painful. You know what I like is the Clone Wars cartoon. Have you watched it? I've heard it's good. It, it seems like the way the movie should have been. They're actually better than episodes one through three. Really? Because it's just a half an hour of action. And they focus on different characters. You know, some one episode will just be about three stormtroopers. Do they have Yoda flying around with a lightsaber? That's the other thing. I think the Clone Wars writers have been listening to all the complaints. Right. And I think they write outside of Lucas's command. Mm. And so they, I think, end up writing better storylines than what Lucas wrote. Oh, that's good. I'll yeah. have to check it out. That does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us. Please take care of yourself. And if you made it this far, congratulations. (laughs) Donkey punch with caution, everybody. Be safe. (laughs) Peace out, (laughs) y'all. I think it's fair. Is that not fair? Fair game? We can say whatever we want. Did you? Did they sign on with you saying there are things you you're on contractual obligation? Blah 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 blah. No, there's no contract. Exactly. Plus, it's like we all only say it in jest. I mean, it's our drink. Oh, I get it. Donkey punch. Yes. I didn't uh, know. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh. Uh. <laughs>